Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. and welcome to heaven this is under consultation an episode by episode podcast type situation through the uk's greatest video game challenge tv show games master i am one of your hosts luke owen and you the audience can try and spot the seven funny things i'll say on this podcast and post ambient post techno post trance i am ash versus this episode aired on the 21st of September 1995. Primal Rage is all the rage on the console market. Shaggy tops the music charts with a Mr. Bombastic. And Houston has a problem with Apollo 13 at the top of the UK film box office. It was the start of another perfect mission. This is the crew of the Apollo 13. Until something happened. Houston, we have a problem. That made America remember how big an adventure could be. How long does it take to power up the lamp? Three hours by the checklist. We don't have that much time. Apollo 13. I fucking love Apollo 13. <laughs> I went to see this in the cinema. I had it on VHS. I thought it was a great movie. Do you know what? I haven't seen it since, it, like when it was broadcast on TV, like in a couple of years' time, when it will be broadcast on TV. We may even get it in our timeline, in all fairness. But that would have been when I saw it, and I taped it off the telly, and I watched it. That is the only time I have ever seen it. There's been a few films on this podcast run where I've said, oh, I haven't seen this since I was at university, or whatever it was, or I haven't seen this since I was in my 20s. This Apollo 13, I have not seen since the late 90s when I taped it off telly on VHS. Yeah, I saw it at the cinema. I had it on video. I'm fairly certain I had it on DVD. I don't have it on Blu-ray, but I did re-watch it, or most of it. I was flipping channels on TV, and it was on. I think it was on Film 4. And I was like, oh, Apollo 13. I haven't seen that in a while. An hour later, I was still there. I really do need to give it a re-watch because the problem with me watching it in the late 90s 
when I taped it off the telly, I was not old enough to appreciate Apollo 13. And as such, I, I don't remember a single thing about it. Great cast, great director, great visuals, all of that governs and everything like that. But I do not think I was old enough to really truly appreciate it. And I think if I had been like a couple of years older and I was a bit more uh, film smart, maybe, I think I would have I would be like, oh man, yeah, what a film. Kind of like what you are now. So for me, it is a film that is just like, yeah, I really should. And you know what, Ash? Maybe I'll try and rewatch it before we get to its end at the top of the UK box office. I don't know why I'm making that promise. I've got a four-month-old. But maybe I will try and watch it before, because we got it for like four weeks, I think. Yeah, so you're saying you don't know why you're going to make that promise. You've got a four-month-old. But Luke, you've got a four-month-old. <laughs> yeah, I know, but like, I don't know where I'll find the time. Because if she's sleeping, month old. <laughs> if she is sleeping, I'm bloody sleeping as well. Yeah, but if she's not sleeping, yeah, but then you got you got to entertain her, and I don't think Tom Hanks having problems up in space is going to entertain her much. You do not know. Stranger things have happened with babies. I will say this: it has taken me no joke three attempts to finish watching the Eternals, and I am forty minutes into it. Man, that's almost as many attempts as it took me to get through uh, Welcome to Raccoon City, and I don't even have a child. <laughs> I still haven't tried it yet. I've heard rough things, though. I upset someone by saying I thought the W.S. Anderson movie was just a better <laughs> film. And they were like, but it's not nearly as accurate. It's not, you know, this one's so accurate. And I said, yeah, but it's 90 minutes and it gets the job done. Everyone thought that, Ash. When all those Anderson movies came out, all of the fans were just like, oh, if only this were like the games. Well... What fucking chickens have come home to roost, eh? I mean, we've gone way off base on this one, but <laughs> I, I like Resident Evil. I love Resident Evil. I always like the W.S. Anderson movies, but the second one, which wasn't a W.S. Anderson one and was a lot closer to the games, was shit. Yeah, it really was. Not a great movie. I mean, Paul W.S. Anderson himself wrote a book about this once. He, uh, he himself would say it is not a good movie, and that's why he had to then take the reins for the rest of them. Well, you know, we're going to get letters on that, Luke. I'll tell you what, actually, we got Apollo 13. I know you called it Apollo Cruise for a second then. We got Apollo 13 for four weeks, and we've already talked about Primal Rage. So let's do a little bit on Mr. Bombastic by Shaggy, which is his second number one, I think, we've had in our podcast run. I think it's his second. I know it's from his third album, originally titled Bombastic. But uh, yeah, it was released in June 95. It was a massive international hit. Obviously, it topped the charts here. It also did really well in Ireland, New Zealand, Sweden and Australia. It even spent a week at number one on the US Billboard R&B charts because, of course, the US, they've... I mean, the thing is, we have a lot of different charts. There's the main charts, there's the indie charts, there's this chart, there's that chart. Because actually, sometimes when I'm looking up number ones, I'll briefly stray onto a different chart and I'll be like, hang on, this doesn't seem right. But in America, those different charts are a much bigger deal, particularly the country chart. But there is mm -hmm. no, no danger of Shaggy appearing on the country chart. But it did make it to number three on the overall Billboard Hot 100. And not only was it popular commercially, it was kind of popular critically. Critics seem to like it. It's a very memorable song. It's catchy. Shaggy has a lot of charisma. He's got a lot of vibe to him. And it was radio friendly. Oh, yeah. This is now friendly is what I would say as well. Big now track. There's not actually much, you know, to say of note about the song other than less than a year later, a remix of it was released featuring Sting International and a sample of Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On, which 
has also been released occasionally as a bonus track on some versions of the album Bombastic. I'm remembering that. I'm remembering that just because I remember hearing the sample of Let's Get It On. I, yeah, I, I don't know if I recall that one. I'll, I'll check it out. But I, I certainly recall Mr. Bombastic, A, being on the radio a lot, and B, being on a Now album that I had. Because um, this is a period of time where I'm very much getting my Now albums for Christmas. And this would have very much been on one of those. Uh, I just quickly double-checked my notes as well. This is our second Shaggy track to be number one. The last time Shaggy was number one in the UK box office in our timeline was Series 2, Episode 26, when he was number one with O Carolina. Oh, yeah. I knew we'd talked about Shaggy before. I think we had about as much to say about that song as well. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact, the final uh, challenge on that episode was the arcade release of Mortal Kombat. Wow. And here we are, full circle. I know, not even on the home markets. Now we're we're Mortal Kombat 3 Episode 0. We were talking about reviews of the Mortal Kombat 3 arcade game appearing in Games Master magazine. But instead of wallowing in sadness, I decided to go out with a bang on the gory and unfeasibly violent arcade beat-em-up Mortal Kombat. You know the rules by now. The first person to achieve two victories wins the contest. Fight dirty. And uh, see you anon. Well, speaking of Games Master Magazine, Ash, lovely segue. Um, have we got anything we want to cover before we get into the episode itself? Well, yes, because this is the one and only week for this issue, because it's the um, September marked issue, which of course means it's August, but we're right on the cusp, slightly past it being changed over. But let's assume you've got a lazy estate agent and he hasn't done the swap around yet. Uh, just wanted to pick up that uh, Sega are claiming that Saturn sales have been brisk with over 5,000 machines being sold in the first week after its launch. And a little glimpse of one of their advertising campaigns, which said stations are for train spotters. This, with the S from the Saturn logo, logo in the word this, is for real. And also going that, well, actually... With a game, the Saturn is only 50 quid more expensive than the PlayStation. It's not a mm-hmm. huge amount more expensive. And I'm thinking, hang on, 50 quid now is actually a fair difference. Back then, it was a real difference. Yeah, totally. Apparently, though, at the time, uh, and why some stores were actually favouring the Saturn, is they were saying that they weren't going to make as much money out of the cheaper Sony machine. The profit margins were lower because Sony set the recommended retail price at X. And, of course, the wholesale price was at Y. But actually, on the Saturn, the profit margins were higher. Do you want a fun fact, Ash? I was just doing some quick maths there. Uh, you that? said that uh, 5,000 units had been sold of the Sega Saturn in its first week. Yeah. Uh, I had a look. The UK population um, in 1995 was 58.02 million. That means that 0.008% of the UK population owned a Sega Saturn. Didn't rise much higher than that, did it? <laughs> Now, it's September 1995. Well, August going on September 1995. What game game platform would you not expect to see a big two-page review of in Games Master magazine? The Philips CDI. Try again. The Atari Jaguar. Try again. Okay, uh, uh, I mean, it wouldn't be the Mega Drive. Mega Drive was still getting games out. Uh, The Amiga. Correct. The Amiga 1200 with the game that is definitely definitely not looking at a lawsuit from id software called gloom (laughs) 
Hmm. <laughs> it is very, very much Doom for the Amiga. I mean, they are constantly referencing Doom in the review, but really impressive to see on the Amiga, even the A1200, which was actually a pretty high power and pretty expensive machine still. It got 90 for graphics, 93 for sound, 94 for gameplay, with the subtext on it, kill, 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 death, destruction and more carnage. Doom at its best. Even though it's not Doom, it's Gloom. So what we're saying here is that the Amiga did better with its Doom clone than it did its Street Fighter clone with Elf Mania. Oh, definitely. Looking at pictures of this, this looks great. Yeah, it, it's amazingly competent. Like, I, I don't mean that as a negative, like, oh, very well done, competent. But, like, it's, it's the closing paragraph here from Les. If the Amiga is supposed to be a dying machine, then I guess no one told the programmers of Gloom. Gloom is by far the best Doom game for the Amiga. It's gory, gruesome, offensive, and bloody brilliant. All that, and it'll upset the PC crowd as well. It's the complete package, a real experience. It got lifespan of 92 overall. 94%. There is a line there that I love, and it still rings true in 2022, which is, well, this will annoy the PC market. Well, funnily enough, they do mention it earlier in the review where they do clarify that by PC, they don't mean PC users, they mean politically correct. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, fair, fair enough. This is the sort of game that uh, I, I recently just purchased some FK titles because... Games Master Series 8 did a really good job of making me want to buy one, and you and I have been texting each other all week about Evercade. So I picked up some Evercade uh, titles, um, particularly the Oliver Twins one, because I think it's going to run out of um, it's going to run out of prints very soon. I think it's like in February, March or something. That one's going out of prints, so I wanted to get that one now. And I don't even have an Evercade because they're not in stock at the moment. This is the sort of title where I'm like, I hope that this can find its way onto the Evercade. I've actually got the Oliver Twins um, Evercade title just sat over there. Much like you, I, I don't have an Evercade yet, but I was like, I saw it, it was like fourteen ninety nine. grab it. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. I spent 70 quid in the end, actually, on uh, Evercade titles. We, we better bloody get one after this. Can you imagine <laughs> if they suddenly go, actually, no, sorry, we're shutting down. And yeah, we just we're not have... doing it anymore. <laughs> one last quick thing I wanted to pick up from the magazine. It's actually the back cover. And it's just a um, such a nineteen a, w- a weird thing even for nineteen ninety five a full page advert for World Heroes Perfect and the Neo Geo CD. That's lovely. Yeah, and they're they're pushing it. They're they're pushing it really big. But then again, as we discussed in episode zero, Games Master's a big magazine. You're getting great exposure by being on the back cover of Games Master magazine guarantee you that is where i will have heard of things like neo geo cd it's bonkers to see the games that they're advertising because here we are we're in the playstation and saturn here the nintendo 64 sorry ultra 64 is around the corner 3d games are coming home to roost but here we've got world heroes perfect we've got savage rain we've got super sidekicks we've got puzzle bobble and it they are great games but it's easy to see why the neo geo cd did not take off over here because it if they'd launched a Neo Geo CD two years earlier, it would probably be a slightly different story because at that point, you know, you'd be looking at something that's CD based and kicking the shit out of the SNES and the Mega Drive. Well, I suppose before we get into the main episode itself, do we want to talk a little bit about the opening credits for Series 5? Because bloody hell, they're long. It's nearly a full minute. 
Now, by the time you get to this point in the episode, unless you are just kind of impatient and skip ahead, you'll have heard our new intro. Uh, thank you to other Chris for yet another astounding job. Pretty much nailed it first time. Oh, it's and so good. It, it was great, actually. He was sending drafts over and I was replying, but I was also actually doing the soundscape and mixing whilst he was sending drafts over. So I was kind of like getting it. It wasn't just in my head how it would sound. I was kind of like having some real-time playback. And I already knew that when I sent it to you, you would go, could we make it a bit shorter? And I actually went on the offense on that of just going, well, it is the longest intro to date. Yeah, I mean, you were absolutely right as well. So my, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been doing podcasting for a long time now. And the one thing they always tell you about podcasting is do not have an intro that is too long because people get tired of it. And people tend to, if you are a new listener to something, if it is a long intro, they, they'll skip out of it. And they will kind of abandon it if it is not 30 seconds. Like 30 seconds is kind of the max you want to have. And you made the point is that we've actually had tunes that are longer than that, that are sort of like 40 odd seconds, like almost getting bad towards sort of 45 and stuff. And I think what I said to you back to that was that I needed to separate myself from podcasting as a professional, you know, which is what I do as a daytime thing and just being like, well, this is what you need for a podcast and actually look at what our podcast is. And our audience, if you've made it to this point, you you could listen to a three minute long intro and you're still with us. I think there is also something to be said for how we do the intros, like how they're presented. It's not just a piece of music. There is it's not just like a, a song or a long piece of music. Like what what we're provided with from the bass music always has kind of different sections and also the soundscape. I I treat that like it's the title sequence to a tv show and it's one of those things and it's happened recently with um the john cena uh, series the patriot not oh, patriot, the peacemaker peacemaker where they they did the crazy opening title sequence because they're like if you make it interesting enough people won't skip it but also if you keep it varied enough you don't realize it's 40 seconds if we ever got like a good number of complaints going guys your your title music is too long then i would go fair enough and I would shorten it down even further. But as it is, I'm just like, I mean, one, it doesn't feel as long as the actual title sequence to Games Master Series 5 does. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, I, we had this with Series 4. I made the decision to have the music from What the Heck from Earthworm Jim, because I wanted that doom, 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 because I love that bass line and stuff. But it's got the screams in there that, they, that they've got as sound effects. And I was a bit concerned about that. I was like, well, that's a bit intrusive, actually, but I really do like that baseline. So I'm going to stick with this. And it was only until like the final episode, we got one tweet from someone who said like, ah, that's a bit fucking annoying, actually. And I was like, I have it as vindication that it was okay that only one person complained and they waited right till the end of the series to tell me that they didn't like it. You wait, now we've actually talked about the length of the opening titles and that we're, we're going to get, we're going to get more letters, Lou. <laughs> It's going to be about Resident Evil and our title sequence length. Letters upon letters. There'll be letters within the letters. But yeah, I mean, outside of that, friggin' hell, the intro to Series 5 on Ga of Games Master is bloody long. It is also now very much the Dominic Diamond show. Oh, this 100%. This is a show about Dominic. We're all looking at his history here, his life. His life is flashing before his eyes. I do love that when he leaves the kebab shop, I'm like, this is very much day shot for night. You can tell because of the blue filter. The blue filter they put over it. It's an entirely believable scenario. He's been out on the lash. He's got a kebab late at night and boom, there's the bus and down he goes. 
it's a great title sequence. I will I will try and see if I can find out when do I actually skip it at what point because I haven't mm. yet and I've like done my solid notes for the first four or five episodes at this point and I haven't skipped it yet. I for me I haven't skipped it yet either and I, I actually watched like all of series five while I was on paternity leave like that was what I did when I, I took the kid down like to give my wife a bit of rest and I just would watch series five episodes so my wife has actually watched quite a bit of series five along with me when she would then come down and oh she's got some thoughts on this show and um so I you know I, I can we get like, some quotes from her please I mean I may do I mean one of the quotes I will tell you this one now she's like was Dominic a trained professional and I was like but um, no and she was like you can tell um which well, i no, think he is was, a, think just not necessarily in what she thinks he might be exactly which i thought was unfair um but yeah so I, I i didn't skip them then either uh it is long but what i i do like about the series five intro what i will say now is that we are in the period of games master now where i remember vividly watching this show I am now nine years old and I am I, I watched Games Master previously, as we've kind of discussed on this show, uh, but I never like really remember watching it. Now I can tell you exactly where I was. I can tell you what my room looked like when I was watching this show. And one of the things I really appreciated about uh, Series 5's intro, particularly when we get into Series 6, is that it follows a story. Like... The series six intro follows on from the series five setting, and then the series uh, seven intro follows on from the series six setting. And I loved that. I was really, really into that idea, that world building for Games Master. Yeah, I, 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 I liked it. I'm trying to think in my head: is there a way I can connect series four and five? Um, maybe series four was literally just a job for Dominic, and actually, what we're seeing the kebab. It's not after a night out on the lash. It's after he's left the job. Well, the, yeah, so my in my head canon, and we know that Dominic was able to leave hell and go back to London because he did so in the Christmas episode. He was able to go do some shopping around Virgin Megastore. So we know he was allowed to leave hell. And I think that when he got hit by that bus after he had gone up from hell for a day job, you know, for go out for some drinks with the goblins, and he got hit by that bus, when he reached those pearly gates, there was, do you know what? You did good. You got through series four, you did hell proud, and now you can come into paradise. And then at the end, and then at the end of the series, they're like, "Actually, you're well fucking annoying. We're kicking you out of heaven again." Are we sure the goblins weren't driving the bus? <laughs> I love that. Now that is also part of the head canon. Yeah, we're going to be pausing the video, going, "Is there a glimpse of brown cloth?" <laughs> Rejoice, ladies everywhere! For television is not quite as awful as it was before. We have returned to serve up an all-new heavenly slice of top television tomfoolery the nation calls Games Master. We'll be flirting with all things visually interactive and entertaining, as well as a couple of things which aren't, but we'll stick them in just so we can have a cheap laugh. So yeah, we are now in our heaven setting, and a first for Games Master, we have no audience. We, well, we have a audience but not a audience yeah so series four was filmed in front of an audience as was three two and one but this one the audience is like green screened in and it isn't a real audience so they pipe in audience sound effects dominic has said as well like we don't get an audience for series six and actually in series seven while there is an audience there they weren't there for present for any of the challenges they literally were brought in to film some reaction shots for and then were inserted into the show so this is the first one where actually like there is no 
live audience there to react to the challenges. I'm not sure how noticeable it actually is, other than the lack of reaction shots. That's exactly it. It's not as well. And you, if actually, if you go back and watch series four, there's little reaction shots. It's not like the first four, not like the first three series. So I think that's why I don't think it's noticeable. But it it's a lovely setting and it is so it's so refreshing because series one church cold foggy series two oil rig series three prison series four hell series five blue skies and greenery and angels with swings and yeah. games master's got a beard <laughs> he has got a bit he looks really good actually in this series like i think this is one of my favorite dominic diamond looks it's also one of my favorite games master looks as well i think games master looks rad in this series and you know we are in a tv studio this time round, and it feels more like a tv studio as well but it is such a lovely setting for it and it really caught me off guard actually because we get we we have a couple of challenges and it really caught me off guard the first time i watched one of the series five episodes for like the first time in a decade or whatever more and you've got the kind of like the choir of angels with their trumpets lining the walkway and as you said the blue screened crowd which is essentially like half a dozen or so people dressed like angels and then they've just kind of copy paste copy paste copy paste copy paste it look it looks like mortal kombat that stage in mortal kombat when you're fighting in front of shang Tsung. that's what the crowd looks like oh i was thinking wwf no mercy or wrestlemania 2000 <laughs> yeah that's also true yeah just just like three you know three three cells of animation and someone holding a sign that says puppies that person is dominic there is a a theme to this opening which is um he has this line where it's like, you know what? Not everything on this show is going to be good. And we will do things for cheap laughs. And there is one of those in this episode. Only one? I mean, okay, there's multiple ones. But like the, the our final challenge feels like a massive flip in the V to people that complained about games playing in Series 4. And it's, and it's done for a cheap laugh. Crazy thing is, I really liked it, but we'll we'll get to <laughs> we'll, that. We'll, we'll get to it. Yes, we'll get to that. And yeah, we kind of alluded to it earlier. We certainly talked about it at the end of series four. Gone are the goblins, and in their place are the angels, played by Helena Tepper and Tanya Kasex. I'm going to say it is, but either way, they're actually using their real names. They are introduced as Tanya and Helena, who get some soft focus for their troubles. I'd like to take this opportunity to introduce you to Tanya and Helena, my two fine angels. He'll be prodding us in the right television direction all series. Good evening, ladies. Hello. I hope you're going to share this swing. I don't want any fighting. I don't want to see us wrestling all over the grass. That, that's the last thing I want to see. Way the lads. Way the lads. <laughs> I do like how he goes, we're in heaven. They've got a swing. <laughs> Why not? I mean, I'll be honest, if I was in heaven, there better be some swings. There better be some slides. There better be some roundabouts. And an evercade. And an evercade. <laughs> <laughs> They can keep the swings and roundabouts. We then cut to Games Master's own version of Under Consultation Series 5 Episode 0 by covering all the things that you might have missed in between Series 4 and Series 5. The next generation consoles are finally here, and the game seems looking more exciting than it has since the minor strike. Apart from games though, this series will see the return of our online service. Surf our website and find out about the show and the funk-filled world of video games. Log on to the bulletin board and download demos of the biggest PC games kicking down punters' doors. Gadgets will be featured too, as we bring you the latest technological consumer durables, along with some contraptions more pointless than the Intertotal Cup. 
I, I, I thought this was really nice, okay, because this very much tells you here is what to expect from this new series. Not much focus on the website as we kind of got in the end of series four, where they were like, here is the demo that you can download this week. But they are talking about, you know, they've got a bulletin board where you can go and join in the conversation. And I really do miss the days of forum posting. I know we've got Twitter and we've got Discord and things like that, but when I was a student in particular, part of the smartmarks.com, that was where I lived. That was my forum of choice. Let's see. I was just really starting to find my feet on the internet at this point. We're approaching Downnet and my time on IRC starting. Man, that was a long freaking time. Message boards, weirdly, I never... I mean, I was a member of a lot of different message boards. I think I even started up a couple in my time. I always preferred IRC and real-time interaction. It's why I love the Discord. You know, it, it's there's something about that which to me just, um, yeah, it, it means you're actually having a conversation. Yeah, I, I agree that there's actually, you just reminded me then, I saw a Reddit post recently that uh, was written by a, uh, I think they were like 15 or so, and they talked about their parents uh, hanging out on IRC. And the way they described it was, bracket, it's like Discord for old people. And Woof, did that hit me hard. What, describing IRC as Discord? But for old people. Whereas I'd describe Discord as IRC for young people or people who can only communicate via GIF. <laughs> Very much so. I'm looking at you, Abyss. I was going to say, yeah. But I, I really like this little feature that we got here, you know, talking about next-gen consoles. You mentioned the Games Master website there. They're going to be looking at gadgets. Um, and it, like I said, like it, it is very much a case of, this is a new era of Games Master. It's not just games challenges. We're also going to be looking at tech. We're going to be looking at this. We're going to be looking at that. We're going to be looking at movies. And we'll be covering the latest science fiction and action movies just so I can get all expenses paid trips to foreign countries to interview top attractive ladies. But of course, we are technically still Games Master and you can rely on us to profile the biggest next generation games like the Saturn Sega Rally. And there's still room in our pants for 16-bit releases like Donkey Kong Country 2 on the SNES, Killer Instinct on the SNES and Doom on the SNES. We did try to find some exciting Mega Drive titles, but we couldn't. You know, they did a lot of that at the tail end of Series 4 with Dom going out to movie sets. And here, like next week's episode, we get a movie review. And my favorite thing about this is just towards the end, they're like, oh, and I guess we'll have to talk about games at some point. But, I mean, they showed Sega Rally, they showed Donkey Kong Country 2, Killer Instinct, Doom, all of those on the SNES. Luke, they don't show anything on the Mega Drive. I wrote in my notes here, they couldn't find anything decent to show on the Mega Drive, dot, and that is fair. Yeah. But even though they show a bunch of Saturn stuff and a bunch of SNES stuff, the most exciting thing of the moment is the launch of the PS1 with games like Tekken, Kiliak the Blood, Jumping Flash, Power Sports Soccer, and Winning Eleven. Now, these two football games, look, we're not big football people. No. But I always thought the goal was meant to be on the goal line, not about five feet behind the goal line. And I think it's Power Sports Soccer. Isn't it weird that like these are being held as like, you know, this is the next gen. Uh, and man, when we start this podcast, I never thought I would end up being this person. But these are supposed to be the next gen consoles. And I'm sat here being like, doesn't look as good as FIFA on the 3DO, though, does it? Well, I'm just wondering how you get someone to develop an entire fucking football game and not show them what a football pitch looks like. <laughs> I always give a shout out to you. They show lots of clips of Mortal Kombat in the movie section and the net. And that is our movie review next week. The Sandy Bullock 
classic big bucky o'harrius.com <laughs> yeah, so. oh we also see wrestlemania the arcade game yes absolutely we do oh man do you know like so the insert coin documentary i, I love it we talked about it a lot in uh, series three episode one and the mortal Kombat special we did because we got a lot of our research from that documentary i'm so glad that i found out about it because of you and that was just like yeah it was an absolute joy to watch and all the stuff they did on there on the wrestlemania arcade game and one of the things is, is Josh sharing all of the behind-the-scenes photos of the wrestlers going in. Like, as a wrestling fan, like, all of the posing they were doing in front of the green screen and stuff, and, like, watching Yokozuna do his moves ready for the green screen. It's so cool. Let's hold fire on some of our WrestleMania arcade game love, because, hey, we do get to revisit it later on in the series. I think it'll be our final ever wrestling challenge as well. Oh, a sad moment. A sad moment. Do you know what, Ash? I feel like it is, you know, this is a game show and I feel like it is time for our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? I'm always looking for something new to test my challenges on. So what better than a brand new game on the impressively new Sony PlayStation? My contestants will be breaking the speed of light in a one lap head-to-head race on Wipeout. My advice is that they take careful note of the colored arrows on the track, since running over these will avoid them with power-ups. Well, talk about a new era of Games Master. We are kicking things off here with a fucking PlayStation challenge. Not even out yet. We're three minutes and 30 seconds into this new era of Games Master, and we're getting our first challenge. It's on an upcoming game for the PlayStation, the kind of hot button item of the hour, and it's a celebrity challenge. Luke, what is going on? <laughs> this is not your dad's Games Master anymore. I mean, my dad's Games Master was probably a backgammon set, to be fair. <laughs> In fairness, yeah. No, we are playing Wipeout here, uh, and this is this feels cool, right? We talked about this in Series 4, about how like you know, them showing Ridge Racer really felt like a, wow, we are moving into the next generation of Games Master. And here we are, start of Series 5, kicking things off with a PlayStation game, brand new, and it feels cool it feels so different to any previous series we've had of this show and this game feels so different to anything we'd seen previously i mean okay f-zero arguably because it was futuristic hover racer but it didn't look like this it didn't move like this it didn't have weapons like this it did not have a soundtrack like this exactly this is the beginning of the Wipeout series developed by Psygnosis, a series that becomes as synonymous with them as the <coughs> Final did. Released 1995 for the PlayStation, also came out on MS DOS. And 1996, the Saturn did get a port, not quite as good, but I'm still pleased it actually got one. Uh, it was a launch title ish for the PlayStation in Europe and can still be played somewhat today if you got it downloaded on the PS3 maybe isn't is it on the playstation classic even if it's not out of the box hey guess what a usb stick and a bit of fudging (laughs) and it will be on the playstation classic but the year is 2052 oh that's only 30 years away (laughs) i know 
and players are competing in the F3600 Anti-Gravity Racing League, piloting one of a selection of craft in races on several tracks around the world. This game was unique, and it had many imitators, including F-Zero. But this was a game where it wasn't just the gameplay. There was an entire set of iconography and design ethics behind it. In addition to the music, work was done on this by Keith Hopwood, the Designs Republic. It had music from Cold Storage. It had tracks by Leftfield, the Chemical Brothers and Orbital. And the Shaman. It, it was groundbreaking. It was absolutely groundbreaking. You can see the market that they are trying to appeal this to and what makes the PlayStation feel very cool, like right off the get-go. Like you mentioned those bands there. Those are the bands of the moment, but they are also bands of a certain demographic. And, you know, there was sort of a version of this game that was shown in uh, the Hackers movie. But the advertising around this was also pretty controversial in that state in that they were trying to court to that certain market. If you're around in Hackney and you go to the Four Quarters, I mean, you can you can Google this online, like it's no secret or anything, but you can see like a proper print version of this from a magazine framed in the Four Quarters in Hackney. And, you know, it's in a lot of those sorts of places because it is quite iconic because it has got radio DJ Sarah Cox with blood pouring out of her nose. And it's meant to be there because, you know, it's the adrenaline and this, that, and the other that you get from playing this game because it, it feels like you are in the future. However, it was sort of seen at the time as a, particularly with its music choices and its sort of underground vibe, a drug reference, like an overdosing reference. And like magazines that printed it, like Next Generation magazine, when they printed this, they censored it. It's like they, they pixelated the, the blood over it because they thought that it was done just to try and court the controversy. Like even it was even suggested that the E in Wipeout, because the E is capitalized, is there because it's a reference to ecstasy. Like that's how deep some people were going into of like, this is the sort of, uh, this is the trying to think, this is the sort of market they're trying to court. I mean, I don't think they're actually that far off base with that one. <laughs> yeah. If I'm being, if I'm being fairly generous. Uh, I was reading an article in Eurogamer that was sort of celebrating, you know, like the, uh, I think it was an anniversary for Wipeout. And they were talking about the Sarah Cox adverts and the, the E in the title. Cause they had Designers Republic like doing all the artwork for it and stuff. And co-creator Nick Burkham, this is what he had to say in the Eurogamer interview. I've heard so many explanations of this. It wasn't the big E as in E as in ecstasy. It was just the way the font had to be designed. You wouldn't have been able to squish an E into the height for the font. Every other letter in it would fit into a horizontal bar, which effectively what it is. Maybe the Designers Republic wanted to put a big E in the middle to reference drugs culture. That was not my understanding of it all. Lead artist Neil Thompson, on the other hand, said it was absolutely intentional, obviously. The game was synonymous with club culture, you know, they, and that was the market they were going for. Tasteless, maybe. Edgy, definitely. Smart, yeah, kind of. I mean, we're still talking about it now. Of its time, 100%. Yeah. However, I mean, this game wasn't just a marketing success. Critically, it was a success. One of the criticisms that did come up, though, was the physics. And I don't know if it was that there were actually problems with the physics or if people just couldn't get their head around the fact that, you know, F-Zero was kind of like, oh, they're hover cars. But it was a racing game. It mm -hmm. raced like a racing game. You could do some drift, sure. But at no point did you really truly feel like, you know, you were on an anti-gravity car. 
Wipeout, it handles like nothing else. And therefore, there is no frame of reference. And so you've got these gaming journalists that are used to all your standard racing games. And suddenly, it's like trying to steer a cat covered in margarine. It's just not happening. You, you kind of write on that with F-Zero because, you know, for everything, for every, how great F-Zero is, and F-Zero is a great game. It is exactly like Mario Kart. And Mario Kart is exactly like F-Zero. They both handle the same. This is completely different. Um Worth pointing out that in addition to all the design and the clubs and everything, there was actually a promotional album that came out, which featured a bunch of the music from the game, basically the tracks by Left Field, Chemical Brothers Orbital, also tracks by New Order and The Prodigy. And But one thing that was missing were all the tracks from the game by Cold Storage, which were kind of like it was a, a pseudonym used by a video game composer to make music for the game, but they didn't include it on the promotional album, which disappointed quite a few people who were playing the game because they really liked those tracks they were good tracks i mean mm. there was licensed music but the entire game slapped it was yeah. just good from cover to cover there's a game that comes out on the playstation in a few years time that tries to ebb this called roll cage and that again trying to appeal to that club culture of things has lots of track on there by fat boy slim and it worked because I was massively into Fatboy Slim at the time, and I loved playing that game because of that soundtrack. So it is a really smart move. But Luke, drug reference or otherwise, this is a hip dance culture-centric game. We need some funky monkeys to play this game. Who have we got? Post-ambient, post-techno, post-dance are just six words that have been used to describe the cut of my trouser. They've also been used to describe the sound of our first special guests on this series. Please welcome Gavin Knight and Mr. C from The Shaman. Not bad. Welcome, Mr. C. Gavin, I have to say, first ever guest we've had on the show wearing a red jean. The fashion world is pretty much split on a red jean. Can you get away with it in the 90s? Well, I am. I think you are, actually. I think so. so. You, are, you do wear a jean very well. Thank you very much. So basically, it's been uh, about two years since Boss Drum. Have you been doing anything else? No, we've been day? really, really busy. Um, last two years, I've been working on opening a new West End nightclub called The End. When's that open? That's open November the 11th. So what kind of stuff are we going to have playing at the club? Wigfield? Bit of wham? Stuff oh, like that? No, I don't think so. Um, it's more like to be uh, experimental psychedelic house and psychedelic techno, generally very underground. Is it too hip for me, do you think? No, I don't think so. Oh, you've okay. got the right eyes. You know, it'll be an eyes policy on the door rather than a closed policy. So, yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. I like that. The first of a club with an eyes policy. We've got a lad wearing red jeans. Otherwise known as Gavin Knight. <laughs> and joined by Mr. C of The Shaman. I know, The Shaman, a former number one in our timeline back in episode two of series two. And here they are now as celebrities on the show. And it's what a fitting celebrity for it. Yeah, especially because maybe they could tell us whether the E in Wipeout is to do with ecstasy because, hey, I mean, they had a pretty good line on that, so to speak. So to speak, yeah. You can tell, you know, the era of the 90s we're in, the era of music that we're talking about here when they're speaking to the shaman and what they're actually wanting to talk about is the nightclub that he has got opening up in November called The End where, hey, they're not going to be playing Wigfield or Wham!, it's going to be experimental psychedelic house or psychedelic techno. I do like how Dom gets here, though, because he's like, it's been a couple of years since your last album. What the f*** have you been doing? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And Mr. C does get prop on the defensive. He goes, well, actually, I've been working on my nightclub called The End. 
And I do love, there is a massive drugs reference in this little bit because Dom's like, I'm, you know, I'm probably not hip enough to get in. And uh, Mr. C's like, no, 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 you've got the right eyes for it. Pupils the size of dinner plates. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no dress code, but an eye code policy. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, but a little bit about the end. Yeah, it launched in December 1995. So, you know, it was a little bit late, but that's that's fine. That's okay. That's okay. You know, we're, we're not keeping count. It also had a tie-in record label called End Recordings. It was it was full of genres like techno and house on Saturday nights, drum and bass and breakbeat, indie on Monday. There was a club there called Trash. Uh, they also hosted other nights throughout the week and weekend, including a dubstep night on Wednesdays. And it was a very, very well-respected uh, venue. Many big DJs and performers worked there. Ronnie Size won a Mercury Music Prize while hosting a, whilst hosting a residency there. Um, Fatboy Slim was a resident at the club when he went to number one in 1998. And hell, moving forward, the Scissor Sisters played their first UK gig at the club. Hmm. It ran until 24th of January 2009 that's a good run really good run and even when it closed it opened up again as somewhere called the den den is an anagram of it yeah 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 i picked up on that it's kind of like you know how in the matrix neo is an anagram of one. Oh, i, know, I thought right? i thought it was meant to be brian eno <laughs> he's the one but funny enough i actually went to a club night at the end or the den because they used to host pop stars. And I'm pretty certain I went there. I couldn't tell you much about it, which means, Luke, it was a good night. Hey, do you know what? They, they say that about the 90s. If you remember the 90s, you didn't live it. Well, you said you remember more and more about it as we get into Series 5. This is the point where I'm like, I remember the title sequence. A lot of this is feeling new to me. I don't remember the shaman being on here playing Wipeout at all. In front with Icecoats, we're at quite a nice cross-section then. Of our Games Master fandom. Because previously until now, it's been me going, yeah, I remember this, this was great, this was this. And you're sat there going, I was eight, <laughs> or whatever age you were at the time. Yeah, whereas now I'm like, I'm nine years old and I love Games Master. Which is mad as well, because when we get into that final challenge, that is not aimed at me. Mate, I don't even think they could tell you who that was aimed at. <laughs> okay, I'd like to take this opportunity to welcome back Dave Perry, who'll be standing trouser to trouser with me many times throughout the series. Welcome back, Dave. All right, thank you. Now, Dave, I think the name Dave doesn't quite pay tribute uh, to your range of talents. Can I call you Champ? Yeah, yeah, that's a name I'm used to. Okay then, Champ, give the guys some tips here. Okay, with Wipeout, the thing to look out for on the track is the blue arrows. You race over the top of them, they'll give you an instant boost of speed. Also, don't hit the sides, and when you're going around the corners, keep your fingers on the accelerator, but use the air brakes at the top of the PlayStation pad. That'll stop you from slowing down too much. It'll help you take some really tight angles. Thanks very much, Dave. One of my favourite things about Dom's return since Series 4, and it's only really highlighted after he goes, is the his mocking of Dave Perry and Dave not really picking up on things. And we get some of that here. Like in Series 4, he was making faces behind his back while uh, Dave was talking about challenges and stuff because Dave still thought he was doing Series 3. And here... It's Don walking up to him being like, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm going to call you, Dave. Can I call you champ? 
And it really does reek of just like, oh man, Dave Perry just keeps going on about how he's this brilliant games player. So I'm proper going to take the piss out of him because Dave will think I'm being serious and I'm actually mocking him mercilessly. Dave actually does appear to think he's being serious because he's like, 100%. yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, call I, me champ. I am the champ. He's right. I am really good at games. I do love that we kind of we are all about, though, the lower body coverings in the humor for this show because we've got pants, obviously. But also Dom describing Dave as a man who 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 will be standing trouser to trouser with him throughout this series. <laughs> that got the biggest laugh so far of this episode was just the expression trouser to trouser. Uh, so Dave's got some pretty solid advice, which is actually what Games Master said as well, which is look for those blue arrows because those are your speed boost and the very helpful tip, don't hit the walls. Yeah. And also don't break, just use the air brakes to kind of like powers glide around. And that is a tricky mechanic, which I don't think I even got right during the first wipeout. But by the time we got to 2097, I, I, I knew how to use my air brakes, put it that way. And we have a first for Games Master here in that we have got a two screen challenge. We have linked up PlayStations here. It feels like, because <laughs> this is the sort of thing I never would have done when I was a kid. I, we never we never did anything like this. We wouldn't do this until years later. So this felt like a really cool thing to see. I did this once. I'm fairly certain. It was some kind of sleepover arrangement. He had a PlayStation. He had a link cable. I can't remember if it was Wipeout we played or it might have been something else. It was a bit later in the PlayStation life cycle. But I remember doing it once and then I had a massive falling out with a friend and no one else I knew had a link cable, so it never happened again. I'm trying to remember what we played. It might have been Doom. It might have been Duke Nukem. I was going to ask if it was Doom, because Doom was what we did it on years later. It was definitely a shooty game, and it would have probably been sometime in 1996. Maybe 97. I I'd, I'd probably would have been like sort of 97, 98. But yeah, I, I, we would have done this years, years after this. But the challenge gets underway, and Gavin hair asses it away yeah he manages to get that start line boost yeah dave compares it to the super mario karts boost that you get at the start if you time things right which i think is a really smart thing for dave to say don't say that very often um in terms of like you know this is a brand new game for people but a lot of people watching this show will have played mario kart and that is a great way to explain to someone what just happened but speaking of mario kart the same rules apply here which is where the person falling behind the weapons are all for him to use because he catches Gavin with the rocket, blasts him, and Mr. C takes the lead. Gavin manages to overtake again on the corner. This, Despite the lead that he had at the beginning, once Mr. C catches him with that rocket, it is tight and neck and neck all the way through the challenge. Now, in fairness, not all of the gameplay is great. Mm -hmm. It's certainly not the best wipeout, but it's pretty damn good for a completely new game in a completely new kind of subgenre of racing. And they certainly knew certainly a new subgenre or way of racing, but they trade positions back and forth all the way through it. It's super close. And eventually, Mr. C takes it back just before the end and wins the challenge. It was down to that rocket that he got because you're right, like Gavin had such a lead on him. And there's a point when you get like they do this massive jump, it's called the danger point in the track, right? And Dominic says there, Mr. C is about four seconds behind him at this point. That's quite a lead for Gavin. But that rocket really hits him and it is neck and neck there. And just as they get to that final corner, Gavin proper messes it up, proper bollocks the corners. And that is how Mr. C got the advantage and won. 
It was a really good race. It was a really good race. In fact, my biggest criticism is the sound on the game was very muted and it means you're actually missing one of the best elements of Wipeout, which is how it sounds. We talked about the music, but also the sound effects are nice and beefy. It's got a really distinct flavor to it. And it was very quiet. And I think that was a shame. Top race action, guys. Oh. Uh, Gavin, I thought you'd won that one there. What happened at the end? He bumped me off, didn't he? That was a bit underhand. Bashed me out of the way. Yeah, was well, he, so was, he was in it front was so coming close. around that bend and it was like, oh, get out of the way. Nudged him into the side there and just sneaked in on the inside. Very fortunate. A very anti-red jean stance. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can't have him, uh, be having red <laughs> jean wearers win the competition. Fun first challenge we've got here for Series 5. I thought it was a really good way to start the series. Yeah, it was a great challenge. It was a bit weird starting with the celebrity challenge. But, hey, we are in uncharted territory. If you think starting with the celebrity challenge is weird, Hold on to your hats for the next challenge. Yes, the Mortal Kombat movie we exclusively reported on last series has opened in the States and is currently knocking seven shades of sushi out of the competition. All the characters from the game are there and it looks better than Pamela Anderson in a Celtic shirt. Scorpion and Sub-Zero. Deadliest of enemies. But slaves under my power. Tells the story of three fighters, Liu Kang, Johnny Cage, and fantastic-looking lady Sonya Blade, who are chosen by New Age hippie bloke Raiden to travel to Outworld and take part in the slightly iffy Mortal Kombat tournament. And of course, unless they win, it's pants for the rest of us back on Earth. I don't really know what we're going to do with a Mortal Kombat movie. We talked about it quite a bit in Series 4. We could talk about it a little bit more here, but we have also planned to do sort of podcasts about this sort of thing as well. So I don't know whether we want to hold off on all of that stuff until we get to that or the way that we just want to talk about a bit of mk here i mean we can talk a little bit about it here because let's be honest it, as and when we get to doing an episode dedicated to mortal kombat and we are ticking ever closer to that hundred counter worryingly so yeah start start getting your notes together because oh, i am man. not going to be leading lights no, camera I game know. over i know that's all on me we haven't, we haven't, we haven't got time <laughs> we will have to make time <laughs> um but either way we can talk a little bit about it here because yeah it opened in the states all the characters are there it looks better than pamela anderson in a, in a celtic shirt <laughs> Oh, that did make me laugh. Uh, we get some clips from the movie, and it did just make me want to rewatch the game. Uh, Dom gives us a rundown of the plot, which is iffy. It's an iffy plot. Uh, it's, it's very similar to you know what the actual plot of the the game was, which was done intentionally so um, because there's two. There's one person that is very key to the Mortal Kombat story, and that man's name is Larry Kasanoff. Larry Kasanoff had, he'd worked with James Cameron uh, on T2 and he'd left Cameron's production to go and start his own production company. And it he didn't really have anything to go on. He just sort of had his name and some connections that he had. And because Midway had done the Terminator 2 arcade game, that was one of the connections that he had. And what happened was he got a call from Midway who said, we have got the Terminator 2 arcade game beta. Like, we're going to release this arcade game and it is going to be bigger than the T2 arcade game. And bearing in mind, T2, the arcade game, was fucking yeah. massive. Yeah. So, Kasanoff is like, 
yeah okay cool whatever he jumps on a plane to chicago because he's got to see what this is and what he finds there is the prototype version of mortal kombat and he is like wow this is this could be much bigger than midway no or midway think at that point midway like no at this point it's this is going to be big Kastanov's mind was like this is going to be the next big thing and I think there is a lot to say about Kasanov, and I think that there is a lot that can be said that he is as instrumental to the success of Mortal Kombat as the people making the game were, because he saw big things for it. He looked at it and said, this isn't just a game. This is a movie. This is a TV show. This is a cartoon. This is a live stage show. This is an album. This is a this, it's that, and it's that. And he created an empire for Mortal Kombat. And to the point where when Midway got sold to Warner many, many, many years later, Kasanoff was looking for a piece of the pie because his argument was when you had the game, when you present the game to me, the characters were nothing. They were just shells. We created these characters together using the movie, using the TV show, using the cartoon. We created these characters. We gave Raiden his personality. We gave Kano his personality, that British accent that Kano has, is what ends up in the games later on when it gets to Mortal Kombat 9. He did have legit grounds to say that I am as responsible for the creation of these characters as you are. Does that mean he's also in part to blame uh, for Christopher Lambert's accent? Yes, I think so. I mean, he did say, when I interviewed him many, many years ago, uh, he did say Raiden was his favourite character. So yeah, pretty much anything that Raiden does, I think that has very much got Kasanov's fingers in it. I, it is. I, I love that first Mortal Kombat movie, unashamedly. There are some wonky bits in it, not least of which is Lambert's interpretation of whatever the hell fucking accent that is. Um, but it's also just, what is it with Christopher Lambert doing accents? Because Highlander playing a Scottish person while the Scottish person is playing a Spaniard. And then, yeah, whatever the accent was in Mortal Kombat, but amazing hair. Oh, yeah, that wig is doing incredible work. Yeah, that, that wig is doing the heavy lifting. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to make note from this section is the line that they use in this. They use a couple of lines from the movie. And there's a line in there where it cuts to Shang Tsung. And it's a very close-up shot of Shang Tsung going like, Scorpion, Sub-Zero. Usually the deadliest of enemies, but under my power. I was like, they are slaves under my power. That was a reshot line because they had the scripts, they shot the movie, and then they did it in front of a test audience. And every single bit of feedback from the test audience said, why are Sub-Zero and Scorpion working together when they're mortal enemies? And so part of the reshoots was they put that line in went and shot a very close-up shot of Carrie saying that line as a one-line of dialogue explanation as to why they're working together. And do you know what? Because obviously at the time I wasn't aware of any of that test screening or anything, but when I saw the movie and I was like, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense, right? <laughs> that makes absolute sense. Man, this Shang Tsung is a powerful guy. Yeah, right? It's so good. I would love to do a, a UCP extra on Mortal Kombat The Journey Begins. And when I say I would love to do it... I think it'd be very interesting to talk about the history of it, because I, but I don't want to watch it again because it's fucking bollocks. But it's well interesting. So we do a... Oh, so we do an episode on it, and then we do a live stream commentary reaction on it. Oh, that's good, because it is... It's so shit. 
Although I think if we do a live stream reaction to it, we have to be in person. Yes, that is that's a proper UCP live thing. That's us sat on a sofa, possibly going full MST3K in silhouette. And uh, I, I mean, I've got the tech. I've done it before with OBS. And I think that's a really good idea, actually, because it is. If you've never seen it before, don't watch it and wait till we do it as a live show and then come and watch it with us. I've always found love a problem. The most romantic thing I've ever said is, get your coat, girl, you've pulled. Help us at hand, though, in the form of 101 love letters, a word processing type package that provides you with loads of pre-written love letters. So when you meet the person of your dreams, simply load it up and select the style of letter that best expresses your feelings. Stick in the relevant name and eye colour, and you're away. Sweet Juliet, I have been your admirer for some time now. I have been by your side, but you have not recognised me. In time, I have come to realise that I must declare myself to you. If I do, then I have a hope of a life together. If I do not do so, then I am a fool. Top work, soft bloke. Ooh, a new feature, Luke. Yeah, and so CD-ROM of the week. Um, this feature is essentially here to just be, crikey, there's a lot of shit being released on CD-ROM, isn't there? Let's have a bit of fun with it. And uh, this was a piece of software released by a company called Great Bear. I actually was able to find stuff about this online. It's hard to find stuff about it as well, because if you just type in 101 love letters, what you'll end up finding are just websites with lots of love letters on them. I mean, I found this bit of blurb, and I'm going to have to believe it's real. So I'm just going to read out a bit of this blurb. You'll find love letters for any occasion, whether it be for family, friends, or that special someone, or that special someone. 101 Love Letters contains categories such as expressions of love, pursuing new love, friends as lovers, AIDS, disease, and love. Uh, well, uh, oh, oh, sorry, sorry, hang on. One, one more time? There is a category, AIDS, disease, and love. <laughs> well, you know when, you know Dom's cat line that we had in the interview? And we were like, man, you could have... I, I would, you're going to give me a million guesses and I never would have got to that point. Same applies here. Are you going to give me a million guesses as to what the next category was? I never would have got there. Well, the next category after that, because that's not the... That's, that's how you end. That's a stinger. But no, they keep going. Secret admirer, timeless love, angry in love, mm. lost love, and more. But yeah, AIDS, disease, and love. That's hidden in the middle there as well, isn't it? Just sort of like that sandwich between two regular, like two normal options on this this CD-ROM. Yeah, I, I uh, I'm going to be trawling archive.org to find this piece of software, aren't I? But the uh, Great Bear actually did a bunch of these auto writers. These kind of like you know we will write this for you, and they would they they could be like kind of put together so you know you could take this one and match it up with the um 101 uh ways to fire an employee right yeah yeah. so you could kind of go you know sorry work has been on the downturn we've got to let you go but you fancy a bunk up in the stationary cupboard <laughs> but uh yeah you stick in a name eye color and the software does the rest this poor greasy teen with the hair gel gives us an example now that was my note and i'm just like wow that's a lot of hair gel and lo and behold dom does not miss that trick bad luck bloke maybe you should have tried using less gel in your hair this is i mean the acting on show isn't isn't stellar from both of them however when you get into the second half of this feature and they talk about how like you can even do your dump letters the lad's acting, it goes up a gear. He knocks it out the park with this performance. 
his, his angrily typing on that massive keyboard of his. But yeah, but did, did you notice, Luke, that the girl is called Juliet? Yeah, I, I did. And, and, and the guy is called Romeo. It's, yeah. uh, it's like that um, that play, what was it? Uh, West Side Story. That was it. It was West Side Story. Yeah, I mean, like the, that's what I like about the series of Games Master. They are keeping things subtle. You've got to work for it. Absolutely. But I, you mentioned this kid's acting goes up a notch. He knocks off a pen pot in a fit of acting. It's just like, cuts in <laughs> pens. And also, he's doing so much typing. And I'm like, mate, it types it out for you. What are you doing? What are you typing? This level of acting is Matt Berry in What We Do in the Shadows. It's half a step away from him kicking the desk over and shouting, <laughs> Bat! <laughs> it's pretty funny. Like, this is very much, this is what Games Master is now. You know, we have been building up to these sorts of points here, these sort of MST3K uh, talking over uh, American infomercials and things like that. And this is a section that is here to be like, look at the crap out there because people watching this like this isn't here to be hey guys you know you should go out and buy this piece of software this is a section to be like this software is proper crap and look what we found yeah it but at the same time if it was good software we'd have probably already heard of it well that's it like you know series eight we talked about it at the top of this episode we've both got evercade versus well we are waiting for Evercade Versus to come back in stock. We have bought games for it, but we went to come back because they had a feature in the show that made me want to buy something. This is not what this is here is for. No, this is making me even kind of be hesitant about going and looking for a free hooky copy of archive.org. Obviously, after a first half like that, underwear needs to be changed. We'll whip them off during this break. Homicide. Life. Sex crime. On the street. This city's gonna kill all of us. It doesn't get much realer than this. The truth is my only objective. It's television, Stan. It's not supposed to be real. Homicide. Life on the street. Mondays at 10 on 4. Music? Who needs it? We got Goodfellas American-style pizza. The decentest, honestest I think there is. Right, Frankie? Mmm. You want deep pan? Fine. With a light and crispy base? Dandy. You like pepperoni? Bada-bing. Mmm. You got juicy tomatoes. Tomatoes! Tomatoes. Herbs, even. Right, kid? Go on. Say cheese. Now, shoot. Out of my restaurant. Goodfellas American-style pizza, now available in your area. From stores with ice compartments. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I do love the sales. That's why I enjoy shopping for my groceries at Summerfield. They have price check. It's a bit like a sale every day of the week with loads of offers on anything from fresh fruit to cheese and wine. And because I've saved so much, I thought I'd treat myself to this little number. Do you want to hand inside with that, love? Price check at Summerfield. Savings that add up. It's hard. It's fast. You make it. You take it. This is about money. This is about greed. You got that? When you're hustling in basketball, you've got to listen to the woman. How much money did you make today? A white man who wants to win at least once and look good. But remember, when you lose, you really win. And when you win, uh, you lose. White men can't jump. Get in a zone in White Men Can't Jump. Sunday at 10 on 4. series, many viewers had the sheer largeness of trouser to criticise the standards of games playing on the show. Well, today, Callum, Andrew and Jamie are here to prove those buffoons wrong and to show just exactly how seriously we take ourselves in an event we call Baby Rom. All right, so we come back from the ad break and, Ash, there were apparently some people, some viewers of Series 4 of Games Master that were um, very down on the lack of games playing skills, sorry Christian, uh, that we saw in the previous series. And Games Master have decided to throw up their two fingers at that audience by presenting us with Baby Rom. Indeed. You know, we've got three, you know, young, very young, <laughs> fresh, very fresh players, players with us for this challenge. We've got Callum Diamond. Andrew and Jamie, and basically they're there to prove just how seriously Games Master takes itself. Okay, so, I mean, we've been building to this for quite some time. Um, this is pretty infamous, I think, in Games Master fandom. Uh, and I think you fall, people tend to fall into two categories on this. You either think it's very funny, or you think it might be the worst thing Games Master has ever done. I think it's very, very funny. <laughs> I think it might be the worst thing Games Master has ever done. Really? I hate this. I hated this so much. Like it's it, it's so fucking smug. And it and it I it actually really it it, I, it was grating to watch it. Really? I was I was actually fine with it. So I mean let's just quickly go over <laughs> what is Baby ROM. Um it is literally a CD ROM, Windows 95 CD ROM designed for one to three year olds. I actually I I didn't find much information about it. I did find a review which also gives the price. Price was $19.95 in the States. That's actually pretty good. You know, mm -hmm. I mean it is a cynical education CD-ROM, 
but it's not one that's completely fleecing people. But this review says, this Windows 95 CD-ROM simple interface, very simple, bright colours and lullaby-like tunes should engage even the youngest child. We proved that wrong. The activities range from basic letter games, with three levels for six months to four-year-olds, to shape and colour matching. When babies tire of the various games, they can stare at the black and white mobile while a lullaby plays. I mean, that last bit sounds like brainwashing, and I'm kind of sad we didn't see it, just to see how horrible it was. But yeah, to be honest, it's barely even a review. It is a couple of column inches from... I don't know, some magazine I grabbed it. Some magazine I found on archive.org. That was the only real reference I found for this. Uh, the three games that we've got playing here, Andrew has got to find the words that don't start with the same letter as the other two words. Jamie has got to find the correct body part that it tells you to do. And Callum will be doing shapes and colours. So I guess my only question is now is, Games Master, how do you win? Our contestants will be looking out for the clapping baby who appears when they give the correct response. Only by collecting three of these can they earn the coveted joystick. <sighs> I, 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 maybe we do you want to, should we like cover thoughts on it after we've covered what happens in the challenge, or do we just do it all in one batch? I think let's cover thoughts on it after, because weirdly, honestly, I thought as a new father you were going to be the one that was okay with this and I was going to be the one that was like, this is shit. <laughs> and actually I was watching it going, this is making me chuckle way more than it should. Okay, we're ready to play Baby Ron. We have Andrew, Jamie and Callum in the commentary box, slightly older than the rest of them is Kirk Ewan. Kirk, what's the biggest problems that the kids are going to have on this? Uh, I think one of the biggest things they should be looking out for is not to dribble on the equipment. Uh, we're working with some highly sensitive uh, stuff here and a combination of Smarties and Drool could prove fatal for them later on. We've got Kirk Ewing in the commentary box and he thinks the biggest issue facing our challenges is to not dribble on the equipment. Uh, wise words. Uh, actually, to be honest, that's not an issue just limited to preschoolers. Many adolescents and teenagers also still have that issue. Uh, but it is highly sensitive equipment and the combo of drool and smarties could prove fatal, Luke. Especially because red smarties hadn't been fully outlawed at that point in time. This is the Games Master debut of Mr. Kirk Ewing. Oh yeah, so it is. He is officially now part of the Games Master roster. He will be here until the very final episode of the show. He is very, very good friends with Dominic Diamond. And actually, if you are a, a backer of the Kickstarter they did for the Games Master Oral History, they because the the you know the the book got delayed for various different reasons, thanks Brexit and all that sort of stuff and COVID and whatnot. They did a podcast over Christmas. I say a podcast. They basically recorded themselves having a conversation over Christmas that was there to make fun of the Super Mario sixty four incidents that we get in series six and just kind of them to sort of catch up and stuff. And they did a little Christmas quiz. And when you listen to it, like every single thing Kirk Ewing says, Dominic Diamond is in bits of hysterics so he really really likes kirk and this is where we are now starting to see that the the criticism that people often have of these later series where it's less about the games and more about dom and his mates dom and kirk go on to have their own tv show together uh yeah is it um kirk and dom's house of plenty night of plenty that was the mistake we made when we did the dominic interview we called it house of plenty it's called night of plenty and i realized why we both made that mistake as well it's because in Games World, it was House of Games. That was the review episode. Oh, I mean that, or I'm just 
like short term. I mean, but editing saves my short term memory on this podcast. <laughs> I, I, I'm amazed I made it through the live show without making any, you know, without making too many massive blunders. But anyway, yeah, it's his debut. And I think the only reason I didn't actually say that is because, of course, I've just recently like watched for note taking purposes the first five or six episodes. And therefore, I'm just like, it's Kirk. Yeah, Kirk. Kirk always, and he feels like he's always been there as well. You know, like like Dave Perry has always been there, but yeah, Kirk just feels like he's always been part of the furniture. I think in part it's because of the friendship he has with Dominic. It's like because he's immediately pally and he has a, like um, a, a natural dynamic with Dominic. He's just like, oh, cool. It's Kirk. He's part of the furniture. That's it. There's no kind of like, oh, look, a newcomer. Yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. And I suppose at the time as well, when you're watching this, you don't realize sort of how much he will become part of the Games Master family just in this this first episode he's part of. But also like Kirk is the perfect person to be doing the color commentary for this challenge because this challenge is a big fuck you to the audience. It's Kirk being there to quote unquote, take it seriously is part of the joke. But we actually get to the start of the challenge. Andrew is up first, he has 45 seconds, and he has to find the odd one out on the three set of words. Now, it's interesting because I think it shows how our brains operate differently, you and I, because you quite rightly said, it's the thing that starts with a different letter. So his first three words are apple, acorn, and bull. But when I first watched it, my brain was going, well, it's bull because apple and acorns both grow on trees. I think it's actually both of them. Yeah, and it does it for all three. Yeah, there's an odd one out, but also it starts with a different letter. Yeah, because he he gets bull straight away. One laughing baby achieved. His second three words are corn, carrot, and bee, uh, to which the correct odd one out is bee. That's the animal bee, not the letter bee. Yeah, the animal, the insect bee. Sorry, you're right, yes. Uh, to which, yeah, the correct answer is bee uh, because... You wouldn't mind having corn and carrot for dinner, but bees for dinner should be reserved for Bill Bailey in an episode of Black Books. But Andrew doesn't do so well on the second one. He tries carrot first, so clearly he's a fan of bees for dinner. But he tries the second time, bee, two laughing babies, 20 seconds gone out of his 45. Last three words, queen, duck and dog. Luke, which is the odd one out? Uh, most likely it's going to be Queen. Having said that, Kirk is very unsure. Queen, duck, dog. Kirk, which would you go for? Well, I'm actually finding this very confusing indeed, Dominic. I mean, <laughs> I can't quite work out. Oh, no, maybe it is. Maybe he's going to... Uh... He's gone for the Queen. He's done it. He's got all three with after only 28.63 <laughs> seconds. Well done, Andrew. I, I, I mean, I was a little bit unsure because, you know, I can hand feed a dog. I can hand feed a duck. And I'm fairly certain I've hand-fed a queen in my time. But enough about Old Compton Street. The correct answer was queen. 28.63 seconds gone. He's achieved the goal. That's a pretty solid time for a child. It's a very tough time to beat when you get when you consider that they, the actual, the next ones have got, apart from Callum's maybe, Jamie's maybe have got the second hardest one. Actually, I think Jamie's probably got the hardest one because not only does Jamie have to identify body parts, They've got to use this weird joy, this weird mouse. It's a trackball, Luke. Unless you have been playing Sega Sonic the Hedgehog for a, a lot in the arcade, which, let's be honest, was not a, was not a common occurrence. Um, it, it, it probably felt quite unnatural to this young child. Well, her challenge gets underway and she gets the head straight away in seven seconds. And that's because the mouse pointer is already over the head. Yes. And then it all falls apart as essentially she just keeps pressing the button. She doesn't understand how the trackball works. She does at one point look off to the side and go, but it's not working. Why is it yeah. not working? 
Dom is like going, move the trackball. Okay, she is actually using the easy ball. It's a kind of junior version of the mouse because uh, Jamie is, of course, a year younger than Andrew. I don't think so. Arms. Seems uh, to be stuck in the head, unfortunately, here. She is. That's the kid coming down. Tell me she's got it wrong. She's determined to stay on the head and uh, she's not going to be Andrew's time. She's got 15 seconds left though to see if she will actually finish within the time. She really needs to move on to the dungarees at this stage, Dominic, I would say. <laughs> it's not happening, Kirk, is it for Jamie? Move the track ball, Jamie. Move the little ball down and click it. No, we're going to run out of time. 43, 44, 45 seconds. That's it. We've run out of time. We just got the arms there, but it's not quite enough. At which point she's like, oh, right, and finally gets the arm at 45 seconds. So, yeah. A less impressive performance from Jamie due to some technical issues, otherwise known as ever between keyboard and chair. And then we get to Callum, who is Dominic Diamond's nephew. And so, which is why Dominic is probably a bit more hands on uh, with Callum trying to get him involved. And he does not want to play. He has got zero interest in Baby Rom. He wants to have a bit of a lay down. And it's at that point Dom abandoned his commentary and his sense of professionalism weird sentence to say about this show and he goes down to Callum who is having what you could comfortably describe Luke as a bit of a tizzy yes come on we're going to play the game Callum go on because we don't have a lot of time left come on on you come come on with Uncle Dominic no don't cry okay Callum your time starts now orange triangle can you find a way home orange Callum, touch the screen don't cry Because everyone's watching this on telecom and they think I'm really horrible to you. Don't go there. Even with offers of 20 quid, offers of 50 quid, he is just not on board to play this game. Oh, mate, I'm looking at your future here. 100%. Absolutely, yeah. I'm going to sit her down and be like, look, it's it's worms on the Evercade. And she's like, give a shit. (gasps) Look, look, it's Dizzy. He's an egg. (laughs) Look, I'll tell you what, it will be the heartbreaking moment where you boot up Sonic and the kid's just like, nope. I mean, me and my wife have actually been joking about this recently, that by the time that my kid is probably of an age, podcasting will be a really passe thing. So the fact that I do podcasts as a living will make me the lamest person on earth. I mean, mate, it's 2022. We're not that far removed from that as it is. That's what, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. It's a very short slope, but it's a very steep one. Oh, yeah. But, but you know, fair credit to Dominic. He sits down in front of the computer with Callum who is flopping all over him. He's gone full ragdoll and the timer starts and Dom's asking Kirk for advice on child having a tantrum and Kirk says... Well, I saw this sort of thing happen before with Mark Spitz in the 76 Olympics. I mean, under this kind of pressure, you can't really expect the kid to respond. Which was a bloody great line. That one, that one didn't just get kind of a smirk from me. That actually got a full-blown ha out of me because I'm like, that's some quick thinking from Kirk. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll reserve my judgment for when we're finished. Okay. But yeah, you can't expect a child to respond well to this sort of pressure. 25 seconds in, Callum has stopped crying, but has full interest beyond that. Uh, Even bribery, as you mentioned, 20 quid and 50 quid doesn't work. And the time runs out and challenge is over, Luke. And uh, we don't go straight to the awards because, you know, they need some time to restore order. Also, maybe change some nappies. Also, maybe give some cuddles. I fucking hated this. (laughs) (laughs) This may be the most polarising we have ever been on a part of Games Master. It does make me wonder, what are we in store for with the rest of Series 5? Because I'm like, this was funny. And maybe part of me thinks it's funny because, yeah, it's a f*** you to people that weren't happy with the level of games playing on display in Games Master Series 4. But also, we've just had that again with Series 8, where people have been going, oh, why do they have that person on to play this? Why do they have that person on to play that? That person didn't do very well. I could have done better. Why aren't there regular people on the show? 
And I just got sick of it. By the end of episode one, never mind the end of episode three. And so I saw this retroactively, Games Master Series 5, giving two fingers up to people that bitch and complain about the quality of games play on show as kind of fine. It is very smug, but so are a lot of the people criticising it. It, well, but I don't think there's two wrongs that therefore make a right. I mean, I wrote in my notes here, there were challenges cut from series four because they didn't think they were good enough to put on TV, but this bullshit made it to wear. This is why people don't like uh, Gen Xers. This is why people think that sort of like that 90s generation of caring is lame were bad and, and why people don't particularly like them. And I, I think it is just, there was a, clearly a meeting where they were like, I'm sick of people having a pop at us about this show. We should put on a challenge that is making fun of people who want this show to be good because we don't care if it's good. And I, I it, its cynical attitude really, really irks me. And I, thankfully, this is not representative of the rest of Series 5. I, I watched all of it in, in various different settings. And it is it gets much better. Next week's episode is grand. And next week's episode is baffling as well because next week's episode is all about like console cracking and, and about how like you can be really, really good at video games. And but this one is just like, oh well, you know, a, a small handful of people had some thoughts about this. So we put this on TV instead to kind of make fun of them. And I I feel like it is it's petty, it's cynical, and it's very smug about that. And yeah, I really, really didn't like it. I, I, and on top of that, I didn't think it was funny. Um, yeah, my liking of it is not as passionate as your disliking of it. But I enjoyed it. I thought there were some funny lines. I actually did kind of get a slight, oh, moment when Dom basically abandoned his commentary position. Because yeah, he really did go because like, his, his nephew was upset. Yeah, for me, I, I agree. And I, there's some, you know, moments like that are good. Kirk's line about the 76 Olympics it's a very it's a cheap joke but it's a pretty good joke you know it's very quick thinking and that sort of give and that sort of stuff I think that I think had this been a series four uh challenge they would have cut this because Don would have said this isn't good enough to broadcast is this better or worse than Robocop that, well that's the question really isn't it because in Dom's mind this is better than the Robocop challenge because the Robocop one made them look silly whereas this one the joke isn't on them the joke is on us mm, the joke is on a certain section of people exactly. I don't well, that's, feel that's like what the joke was well, on me no 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 well it's, it's not but that, what I mean by us I'm using the sort of the royal us because there is a small handful of people we all have to suffer so the joke yeah. then becomes on, on every single person who watches the show, as opposed to just those small number of people that complained about it. I mean, I can't disagree with you. You're absolutely right. It just didn't bother me. Yeah, I think and, that's and, and, where I it comes that. to it. It's like, I, yeah. I, you know, I still actually really enjoyed this episode, even though I've still got, I mean, first of all, I've got an axe to grind in about ooh, five minutes time. <laughs> and I think that's totally fair. Like, I, I think of a comparison I was thinking about this is that this is the rise of Skywalker of Games Master Challenges in that there was a small section of fans that were really upset about The Last Jedi because I think it had a woman in it or something, and so therefore they were mad about it. And so they did this huge course correction for Rise of Skywalker to placate that small audience and therefore made a very, very bad film off the back of it. And yeah, I, I, there's... It, it it is what it is. Like I I didn't like it. I know there will be people that did like it. You yourself are one of them. And I didn't begrudge anyone for liking it. If you thought it was funny, then that's grand. We yeah, I was so curious. Out of all the challenges we've had thus far, how our audience responds to it? Yeah, yeah. You're you're absolutely fair and right. Because I I I reckon it'll be a fifty fifty split. 
I reckon there'll be people who don't like it, but for, you know, they just don't get on with it. And I think there'll be people who think this is funny. You know, like we got a tweet from someone, uh, it was Uresco, in fact, just before series five, like before we started to record series five. And he said, I cannot wait for series five because the sarcasm on display is off the charts. And that's what he really enjoyed. So for him, this might be like one of the best things on the, on the entire series. Maybe. Maybe. We'll find out. I mean, dude, let us know. In fact, all mm-hmm. of you, let us know. Start getting that feedback in now for the end of the series. <laughs> but you're right. Uh, unfortunately, we do have to change some nappies. We do have to restore order. And Ash, we're at the end of the episode, but here's the review section. The Sony PlayStation finally hits British streets next week. And there's so many games available at the launch, you couldn't fit them inside a fat bloke's brazier. One of the biggest of these is the Polygon Punch-Up to Shinden. We've got our regular reviewers Rick and Dave to give it the once-over. When I first saw Toshinden on the PlayStation when it came out on import, I thought it was Virtua Fighter with huge weaponry, and it certainly showed the 3D capabilities of the PlayStation. The trouble is, the game has no capacity for combos, it has no special moves, and it has no secret characters, so it doesn't really have the longevity that more established beat-em-ups on the market can offer. It's great for the average beat-em-up fan, which I certainly am. I'm not a great beat-em-up fan, but I really like Toshinden. But, you know, you want to talk smug, we have two standard reviews for Series 5. We've got Rick and Dave, uh, who are basically kind of doing point-counterpoint in their reviews. I actually quite like... I really like it. I quite like the way they're doing it, even if I don't always agree with what they're saying. Sometimes purely on a factual basis, but I temper that down. Still a few minutes to go until we get there. It sort of makes it feel like a conversation between them. So, like, in all reviews in previous series have just been, like, here is what Frank O'Connor thinks, here is what Adrian Price thinks, here is what this person thinks. Here is just, like... Rick makes a point, Dave makes a point, then Rick comes back and be like, actually, I disagree with this and, and for this reason and that. It was clearly before you could tell that they just all took turns sitting in front of the camera but weren't necessarily aware of what each other was saying. This one, you can tell that while Dave sat there, Rick is just off the side and vice versa because they directly refer to what each other are saying. Yeah, either that or they sort of, you know, I'm going to say this or these are the points I'm going to make. I'll make this counterpoint. I, I think it actually makes for a much nicer review section. Uh, it makes it feel a bit more conversational, even though it's not conversational. It makes it feel a bit more. And it, this is a PlayStation review special because the console is out next week and we're kicking things off with Battle Arena Toshinden. Now, I think we've talked a little bit about Battle Arena Toshinden in the PlayStation launch special. Um, yeah, launched 1995 for the PlayStation. There were ports in 1996 for the Saturn, uh, MS-DOS and bizarrely the Game Boy one of the first fighting games on a home console to boast fully polygonal characters, had a sidestep manoeuvre, so you are actually... It's, it's kind of right at the start of things going into true 3D, and it was announced as a PlayStation exclusive. Sony were initially really leaning into this being a Saturn killer against Virtua Fighter, but less than a year later, it was ported to the Saturn with additional features. Tekken came along very shortly thereafter and just kind of wiped the floor with it. Understandably, Tekken is a much superior game, but Battle Arena Toshinden is still pretty competent, still pretty fun, and we'll get into the review. And Rick is up first, and he says when he first saw the game on import, he thought it was just Virtua Fighter with huge weaponry, but it does certainly show off the 3D capabilities of the PlayStation. Dave then follows up and says... You know, it doesn't have any capacity for combos. It also has no special moves or secret characters, so it lacks longevity. This would be a crushing blow for the game, if not for the fact it does have combos, which is usually done by interrupting a regular set of hits with a special move. So it's still rudimentary combo making, but you still can get like a five, six, seven hit combo. It does have special moves, 
Every character has throws, at least four special moves, a desperation move and a secret move. And it does have secret characters, two of them on the PlayStation version. When you actually get the Saturn, you get an additional third secret character. So, Dave's main criticisms are bobbins. His criticisms appear to be, it's not Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat or Killer Instinct. Or Way of the Warrior. Or well, Yeah, exactly, something along those lines. Because like, I think what... Yeah, you're right, because they, they do have, each, you know, each character has got their own specific throws and things like that, but it hasn't got a fireball attack or anything like that sort of thing. It hasn't got sort of like the, and when I think he's talking about combos, I think he's talking about the killer instinct level of combos and stuff and things like that, which actually is like a sort of a big running theme of Series 5 and stuff is like, how big of a combo can you get in a game? But his points are wrong, very, very wrong. And because he is, as you know, you and I both well know, and I think everyone who's a Games Master fan knows, he is the king of beat-em-up games. He's written a book about them as a marketing manager that he sees himself as sort of this fighting game expert, and this makes him look like an absolute twat. I wonder, did he actually write this info, or was he given the notes by someone else? Is this part of the subversion of dave perry no i think i think dave's smarter than that particularly as a fighting game guy i think he would want to be the guy he, i i think what he wants to be is like this is not as good as other fighting games for these reasons because he doesn't think they're there and i don't think he's played it enough well i was gonna say because the thing is he doesn't play imports we know he doesn't play imports because boy howdy is that a sticking point later but this would have had to have been played on import but this may but it, it may have only been the first time he played it like this yeah. Mike just before he sat down to review it he like played it for 10-15 minutes and then made his very quick judgments on it there it's it's a wrong judgment I mean Rick ends it by saying it's great for the average beat-em-up fan which he is so he really likes Toshin Den yeah. 88% even with Dave's negging of it it 88% is still a very respectable score and what I believe it deserves it did a lot worse in the general press but I think a lot of the times it was getting reviewed, people were already going, but Tekken's. We get a quick preview of Mortal Kombat 3, including the hilarious fatality when the original Mortal Kombat arcade cabinet gets dropped on your opponent. Tekken also gets a quick preview, and then we get into Wipeouts. Another feature of the PlayStation is its link-up facility. If your pal's got one and you don't mind lugging your telly around to his house, you can link them together and play twin perspective games just like the arcades. The first one to take advantage of this is the one you saw the Shaman play, Wipeout. Wipeout is certainly the buzz game at the moment on the Sony PlayStation. It combines breakneck speed um, with futuristic racing, with huge power-ups and awesome firepower. The problem with Wipeout is sometimes it's just a little bit too fast. You're controlling a hovercraft instead of a normal racing car, so you don't get the normal grip and sliding feel that you do in racing games. So the control method can be a bit tricky, and I think maybe this could be a problem with it. Maybe the difficulty level is set just a little too high for beginners. Yeah, I disagree completely. The playability is set just right for me. The pickups are all the way through the game. You have very many different styles of weapon. You also have different speed-up ramps, and on the tracks you can go one way or another. It's absolutely superb, although I do agree it is a bit too tough, but then it has to be tough to remain playable. And heck, it's even got left field orbital and the Chemical Brothers doing the soundtrack. Don't get me wrong, Wipeout is an awesome game. It's probably the PlayStation racer of the moment. It has 12 tracks compared to Ridge Racers 1 and it even has a two-player link-up facility. I like that they're talking about this link-up tech. We, you know, we saw it earlier in the episode. It's really, really cool. It's really, really snazzy. And yeah, they are really high on this game i think the sort of the only criticisms against the game is that 
which we were talking about earlier it's the lack of grip that you have on the cut so it feels like you are very floaty yeah this is hover racing in the same way that um hoverboard in back to the future 2 would would kind of like portrayed which is you know they don't just kind of like scoot along like a normal wheeled thing you know you can't move a hoverboard without propulsion well, why it doesn't, well, you know, it will hover you over water, but you're not going anywhere unless you've got like a pole for punting or something like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Dave Perry's up first. He says the speed, the power-ups, the graphics, the music is all great, but, you know, it makes the controls a bit too twitchy. And I will say the first Wipeout with the digital controls, mm, yeah. Wipeout is a game that really benefited from the analog controller. Yeah, it, it's also a game that we, again, something we talked about earlier, it's getting used to those, the drift buttons and using that to get around the corners and things like that. So it takes a little while to get the hang of, I would say. Yeah. I think that's that's, that's improved in the sequels. Oh, definitely. 2097 for me is the pinnacle of the PS1. I prefer 2097 to wipe out. Easily. Wipe throat. (laughs) I hate it when they do that. Wipe ecstasy out. Well, you know, depends what sort of night I'm having. Anyway, um, Rick takes a counterpoint to Dave. He completely disagrees. He thinks it's just right. He loves it. And whilst it may be quite tough, it has to be tough to keep it playable and to keep people coming back. He's not wrong. That's how arcades keep quarters coming in. Mm-hmm. Also, left field, orbital, chemical brothers doing the soundtrack. Not off. And, you know, Dave ends this off clarifying it's an awesome game. 94%. I think that this is, if you are getting a PlayStation on day one, this is the game you'll want to be getting with it ash it wasn't available <laughs> but i do actually wonder we talked about how they recorded this if dave went in and went oh it's a bit too hard this that and the other and then rick sits down and goes of course it's hard it's got to be hard you want it to last and dave sat off to the side going can i go back on camera please just just one more thing dave going colombo but yeah 94 percent, really respectable score Destruction Derby is another much-vaunted link-up game featuring top blokes in cars in a rock-type situation action. Other link-up games include the Shoot'em-Ups Assault Rigs and Crazy Ivan, although bear in mind you need two machines, two games and a link-up cable that'll total over 700 quid. If you have got tons of money and fancy a 10-player basketball game, then Total Basketball and a 5-player multi-tap will suffice. And we then see other examples of link-up games. We see Destruction Derby, still wish that had come back properly. We see Assault Rigs, we see Crazy Ivan, which is a game I always wanted to play but never did. Maybe I will fix that during this timeline. But Dom does remind us that to play all these link-up games, you will need two PlayStations, two copies of the game, two TVs and the link-up cable. That's not a cheap thing. It's £700. It's also, okay, say hypothetically, we're friends in school and hypothetically, we both have PlayStations. Hypothetically, we both have a copy of, let's say, Destruction Derby. Now, if it was just a case of I need to come around yours and I need to bring the PlayStation and Destruction Derby, then the cost of the link cable, maybe one of us could get it or we split cost. We put our kind of, you know, paper route money together and we get that. But is are, are either of our houses necessarily going to have two TVs that can we have we can have in the same room? I mean, you might have a living room TV and a portable TV upstairs in your bedroom, but is the parents going to be happy if you bring that portable TV downstairs and you have them next to each other because then you're taking over the living room? You're not going to be able to take the living room TV upstairs. That would be crazy. It's too so, big. So realistically, what you're saying is to cart round to the person's house, you will probably need the PlayStation, the link cable, the game, the controllers and a TV. I can tell you this for free. My parents would have never let me taken the TV out of my room to my friend's house. Same. 
absolute same, especially given the distance I lived from any of my friends at the time. But that's not all. And this one is one I would love to see. If you have loads of money, get the five player multi-tap times two. And in addition to all of the above, you can have 10 player two console basketball. Wow, that must be. You know, when we were talking about um, eight player speed racer and like that feeling that must have been really unwieldy to play on those really tiny TVs. Yeah, 10 player NBA total basketball would have been pretty messy. Yeah, I, I just don't see it working even remotely. In Japan, though, where the PlayStation's been out for over a year, they're getting their teeth into titles like Groundstroke, the bizarrely titled Horned Owl, and Boxer's Road, which is just off the A5 outside Chim. But the one we're all waiting for is Tekken 2. This jumper-bursting beat-em-up is sitting in the arcades over here now and due for console release in Japan next spring. But don't try this at home unless you know someone really soft. Top work, Lion Bloke. But really, the game that we're all going to be talking about is Tekken 2. It's out in arcades and it will be on the PlayStation in June of next year. So less, it's less than a year away. You're still going to do a little bit of waiting. You can have Tekken to tide you over for now, but man, when Tekken 2 arrives, it's a massive game changer. I mean, Tekken was, for the PS1 era at least, it was my FIFA. I got Tekken. I got Tekken 2. I got Tekken 3 on import because I had my PlayStation chipped by that point. And so that was one of the first import games I got. I got that. I got Resident Evil 2. Um, I got Fire Pro Wrestling, of course, when that came out because I did like my wrestling games. But yeah, that was that was some good, good times. And top work, Lion Bloke. <laughs> right, we've managed to calm things down a bit now. Of course, uh, Andrew won the joystick with a fine performance. Can I get that back for a second, Callum? Andrew, how do you feel after your victory? Good. You feel good? Was it easy? Yeah. No problem at all for you, was it? No. Okay, Jamie, you were up second and you didn't quite do it, did you? No. Did you just find that a little bit hard? Yes, you did. And Callum, how did you go on? Did you enjoy it? Okay. Yes, that's just about the sum, sum total of it, isn't it? Yes. Did you have a nice time though, Callum? Say yes. Good boy. Uh, we cut back to the post-match interview with the kids and Andrew has got adorable one-word answers, which means he's not much better than the kids from series one. I had the exact same joke <laughs> written down. I'm just like, oh, it's season one, children. Um, I also thought it was adorable when he just tells Callum to say yes, because that's what you do with children. You tell them to say something and they repeat it back to you. They're great. It, it, it's like having a Furby, but with added drool. They are dribbly, let me tell you that much. Our kid is proper dribbling out the wazoo at the moment. You want to worry if they're dribbling out the wazoo, mate. <laughs> Most of it is meant to come out the mouth. <laughs> but I will say this, we have had worst post-match interviews. <laughs> you, I think you might be right on that one. <laughs> From all three. That I can 100% agree with you on there. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Remember, life is a lot like climbing a mountain in the northwest of England. It's a struggle to get to the top, and when you reach it, all you can see is Wolverhampton. Bye-bye. Poor old Wolverhampton. I quite like this line. I quite like the way he does these now to end, moving forward in Series 5. That line got a good laugh out of me. It's very topical as well. Forrest Gump was a massive movie in our timeline, and, and Life is Like a Box of Chocolates was one of the big takeaway lines from it. So doing a Life is Like thing, I think, is really good. And we also get a little post credit sequence of Dom and the angels with the kids and Callum giving a smile and a thumbs up 
and Dom saying, top work bloke. <laughs> Come on, mate, that must have made you smile. But that's all good. Like, I top work insert thing here. Or it makes me laugh throughout this series. Also, I, I I honestly wonder if they put that in there because yeah, Callum did look quite upset. I mean, it was probably a very long day, very tired. It's not that they were like neglecting him or anything. But I did like that little see, we're all good. We're all yeah, fine. It's all fine. And Everything's also, grand. Also, Dom clearly loves Callum. Oh like, yeah. Absolutely adores him. Yeah. I mean, that's why he broke commentary position. He could have just stood there for forty five seconds, but he couldn't let the kid cry. Top work bloke. Made him look very bad on television. (laughs) It would have made, to be honest, that's not the thing that makes him look the most bad on television this season. Before we get to our final wrap up of the episode as well, I was just going through the credits uh, for this series because I'm always curious to see the researchers and two names uh, cropped out for me for the researchers for this series, one of which is Martin Mathers, who we're going to see as a contestant. We've already seen him as a contestant in series one. We'll see him again in this one and in the next series. But also Ravi Chopra is a researcher here. And if you're thinking, well, that name rings a bell, he was in series three as the US Gold Games tester who talked us through the CDI portable version. Wow. I think that counts as going up in the world. Yeah, I think so too. I think he's doing all right for himself, is Ravi. So yeah, I thought I'd just make note of that because we do tend to forget to look at some of the, cre- the credits sometimes and then people message being like, ah, you, need to, uh, you didn't mention this, you didn't mention this. So I thought I would do it this time. That's absolutely fair. And you know what? You're right. When we started season one, we did look closely at the credits. We're over 100 episodes in now. Who gives a fuck about the credits anymore? (laughs) Exactly right. So that is episode one of series five. Ash, what did you make of it? Well, let's leave... I tell you what, suggestion. Let's leave Baby Rom to one side for the moment because it is so polarising with us. But I bloody love the start to this season. This is one of my favourite starts to the season. I love the setup. I love the set. I love the title sequence. I... It, I, I love the fact that Games Master's got a beard now. I love the chorus of angels. I really like the changes they made to the review section. Um, yeah, I missed the consultation zone because, of course, we took our name from it. But I thought this was a really, really strong opening to the season for setting the tone of what this season is going to be for better or for worse. Leaving out Baby Rom, what did you think? I mean, yeah, like the, the Wipeout Challenge is really good. I do love the setting. I do like the style of the review zone. It's interesting that you mentioned the consultation zone there because I, when I was doing my watch of this, I think I think I might have already said this on the podcast. I'm pretty sure I've said it to you before as well. I got about five episodes in before I realized that the consultation zone wasn't in the show anymore. I suddenly had this moment where I was like, oh yeah, they haven't done the consultation zone since. And it, because it doesn't feel like it is missing anything. It doesn't feel like it is missing a segment or anything like that. So I actually think that the decision to remove it was a really, really smart one. And I think it actually makes the series and the episodes flow a bit nicer because they're not trying to cram so much stuff in. So I think that is a positive. I think the presentation of it is really, really good. I think Dominic is really comfy in his role now. He knows exactly what he wants this show to be. We saw what happened with Series 4, which is that... Dom was trying to make series five while the production was trying to make series three and it didn't mesh. Now it is all fully here, series five, and we are, he is comfy. He's comfy with his co-host. He's comfy mocking Dave Perry. And I think the show rolls and it rattles and it's really, really nice. Also, I think that it, it expanding itself out to do movies and things like that opens the show up a little bit. So I'm, I re- I'm just going to say this now. I think series five is a very, very good series. 
but I'm overall I was negative on this episode because of the baby Ron thing, which is essentially you know the last half of the show. If you were reviewing this episode without baby Rob, ignore the fact that there is missing half an episode. It would be a solid ninety percent plus, wouldn't it? Yeah, yes, I think either that or it would be very late eighties. I don't like maybe like an eighty nine. I don't think I'd be going into the nineties. But I would be, yeah, I would be much higher on the episode. Because actually, I also really like the, the review special we got at the end of this about the PlayStation. However, with Baby Rom and my my sort of my feelings towards it and it and its cynical nature, which I really didn't like. Um, I, <laughs> so I was thinking about this. Uh, I've been thinking about this for the last couple of weeks or so. That we've always said that 75% is a solid recommendation. So I have decided I'm giving this episode 74%. Well, I loved... As I said, I loved pretty much everything about this episode. Baby Rom didn't offend me. I didn't dislike it. I don't think it's the worst thing that I've ever seen on Games Master. I think there is actually still worse to come in that regards. If you want to talk about it being cynical and stuff like that, I would actually argue things like the Clay Fighter tournament is far worse because that's literally paid for promotion. Or even like using Rise of the Robots in the Series 3 finale. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Paid promotion doesn't bother me in the least. I, I, I don't mind that at all. And you're right, like, that is also... Near52.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be selling myself out if I didn't say that. But yeah, like, I don't think paid promotion in the in the shows is is bad at all, particularly, like, in Series 3, where that was rife throughout it. You know, like, we had a proper laugh at greatest graphics you've ever seen in your life for uh, international open tennis and all this sort of stuff. When I say it's a, a cynical thing, it's more just because it is flipping the Vs to a small portion of the audience and making everyone else pay for it. And the sort of smugness that went around that is what rubbed me up the wrong way. I, I persuade, I don't agree with you, but because we are mature adults and this isn't Twitter, I can respect that we have differing opinions. And you know what, Ash? Because you liked it, I'm not going to say that you're a big smelly dickhead and then try and block you on Twitter. I'm going to say that is a very fair opinion and I completely respect it. I am now going to Twitter <laughs> to call you a big smelly dickhead. <laughs> sure, I'm so tempted to actually do that and then people will not know for at least a week why I just called you a big smelly dickhead. I, well, I think you should do it now then. Um, I mean, you're doing it now and also then I, I'm giving the 74%, but what are you scoring the episode? I'm going back to the future on this because whilst it didn't offend me, I take your points as read. I take your point that it is an immature thing to do and that they probably shouldn't have done it. That's a great that's a great word to use, actually. I wish I'd thought of that a bit. Immature is a very good way to describe it. And also as well, it meant we didn't get a second challenge properly. I wonder, did they put this in episode one because they're like, you know what, there's some people that were pissed off with series four because of the quality of the game playing. Let's just get them to fuck off now. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And then episode two onwards, happy days are here again. If you're sticking with Games Master because you like Games Master episode two onwards is going to be the time of your life yeah so maybe maybe that's it yeah no i i, I think you're right this is luke uh, this is luke owen <laughs> you're a big smelly dickhead there we and tweet there we go mm-hmm. okay that's it yep okay there it's just coming uh at ash versus three seconds ago this is looking you're a big smelly dickhead yep it's going to come through i'm just gonna cool. give that a little like there <laughs> <laughs> 
And the best thing is, when people do hear this, they're going to scroll back and they're going to like, oh, so that's why. <laughs> I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. If you want to hear next week's episode one week early and ad-free, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where at the £5 level you get access to that episode, as well as UCP Extra, where we do this style of show, but about other TV shows from the 80s and 90s and our monthly community show under console nation and if you want to discuss that with some good fine folks you can do that over at our discord ash what is a discord um it's basically like an old irc chat room but for people who can only converse using gifs and a quick shout out to our 10 pound backers who support us over on patreon xanderthal william simon sean retro fun for everyone reese nick misha matty boo link kevin jamie manga girl harriet gordon dempster gordon brands david palmer david fisher darkside 73 cliff foster chrissy two sticks christian din andrew cummings adam d and colin thank you all so much for listening we will see you in seven days time for episode two take care everyone good night deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market hi I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.